to talk to you today about how you can turn down the drama in your life and in your family. How many of you like to turn down some drama? Come on, turn down some drama in the marriage, turn down some drama in the dating relationship, turn down some drama with the kids, turn down some drama on the way to church. I know we had some drama going on on the way to church, right? You know, some stuff flying around. Just dial it down a little bit. And you know, one of the things that turns up the drama is our words. I remember my wife walked out recently and she had this brand new dress on. It was this white and black flowing dress and it went all the way down to her ankles. And I'm just sort of checking out the color. It's white, it's black, it's like flowing. And, and I wasn't thinking about size. I wasn't thinking about weight. I wasn't thinking about anything. I just looked at her and I said, honey, you look like a whale. And there's that moment where it's kind of like a matrix moment, you know, and you're just like, you, you said those words and they've now entered into the ether and you can't get them and bring them back. But, but you see it happening in slow motion and it's like a train wreck going on in slow motion right there, you know, and there's nothing you can do. You want to reel those words back in, right? You're like, I didn't mean that. I wasn't, I mean, I, I wasn't saying you were big. I wasn't, which that was the first mistake right there, you know, like, and she finally, my wife, we've been married almost 20 years. She looked at me and she she said, that's enough. You need to stop now. And I knew right then, like, I'm sorry. I just, I, 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 you know, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stop. So we all say things that we wish we could get back, right? You text message things and you wish you could get that text back. You post stuff on Facebook and you wish you could just get it back. We all do that in our lives. And so we're going to look today at how we can kind of be careful about our words so that we don't turn up the drama, but so that we use our words to turn down the drama in our lives. If you have your Bibles, mobile devices, we're going to be in James chapter 3 in the New Testament Bible. We'll bring this on the screen as well. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. Now, let me give you a little context. James was uh, not only the leader of the church in Jerusalem in the ancient world, he was the actual brother of Jesus, like the physical brother of Jesus. Now, can you imagine how, what kind of sibling con, con issues you would have growing up as the brother of Jesus? You know, what is his mom, Mary, like pull him aside, James, why can't you be more like your brother? You know, the Lord, the perfect one. Can you imagine this? So, so James doesn't just believe right out of the gate. I mean, what you, you since reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that James is a little slow to the whole faith thing because that's his bro we're talking about. And then you go on, and the Bible says that Jesus r rose from the dead and appeared to James and others. And then James is, next thing you know, not only a follower of Jesus, but leading the church in Jerusalem. In chapter 3, he tells us how to turn down some of the drama in our lives. Chapter 3, verse 2. He says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, look at this, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in what? Every other way. See, if you can control your tongue, don't miss this. There is a, like a domino effect. There's a snowball effect. If you can control your tongue, it will lead to discipline in other areas of your life. Did you notice that? If we could just control our tongue, he says, then, man, we could control ourselves in every other way. If you can learn to control your tongue, it might affect ultimately some spending decisions that are unhealthy in your life. You can start to control your tongue. It might affect some health decisions that you're making in your life. If you can start to control your tongue, it could start to affect all kinds of other areas of your life. So what we're we're going to talk about is this very little simple thing called the tongue, but the domino effect that it has snowballs over into all these other areas in our lives. And here's what I want to give you. This is the thought I want you to just sit with a little bit today. 
You shape your words, but then your words shape you. You shape your words, but then your words begin to shape you and who you are. First thing James challenges us to realize is the power of words. Just realize the power of the words that we speak. Uh, I brought a book here with me today. This is a book by Leo Tolstoy called War and Peace. This is a massive book. Now, I, I assume if you read this book, it, it would probably change your life. I've never read it, but here's what I do know. If I drop this book on your foot, it would definitely change your life, right? There's a lot of, look at all these pages. This thing is huge, over a thousand pages. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Studies say that we share about 16,000 words a day. That adds up to about every 35 days, you would fill up war and peace just in your everyday conversation. Six million words a year. Think about this. Twelve copies of War and Peace every year is what you and I speak casually, just hanging out. Some of you are like, man, you ain't met my girlfriend. She can speak that like in three days. Boom. Right there it is. Some of us thought that was a lot more funny than others. Right? But we, we you know, we, we shape our words, but then our words shape us, they steer us. We use a lot of words in our lives, but those words have an incredible impact, not only on our lives, but on our future. Listen to this. James chapter three, verse three. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. So you just steer that bit, right? With that horse, it'll go wherever you want, left, right, whatever. Now look at this. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. He says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. And he's going to go on to talk about the power of the tongue. Now, he says, the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. The tongue is like a rudder of a boat. It steers your life. When you're a kid, you go to the doctor. If you're sick, they'd say, they'd stick out your tongue and say, ah, right? Ah. And by looking at the tongue, they could tell a lot about the life. Listen, how many of you wouldn't mind knowing where you're going to be in the next five to 10 years? That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Like, give me a little, just, just give me a little direction. Where am I going to be in the next five to 10 years? I want that. Here's what I can tell you. If you want to know where you're going to be in five to 10 years, you will get a lot of insight into that just by looking at the words that you speak in your life today. Why do I say that? Because what did James just say? The tongue is the rudder. If you got the rudder set over here, then anything could happen, but more than likely, right? More often than not, if you don't change the rudder, then five years from now, you're going to end up way off over there somewhere, right? You can just look at your words. If they're the water, if they're the rudder, and that's where I'm headed. Or if your rudder is headed this way, then you say, well, you know, five or 10 years, I got, there's a high likelihood if my rudder is set that way, then I'm going to go that way. That's the power of our words. They steer our lives. Listen, some of you, you feel like your marriage is always going to struggle. It's never going to change. It's never going to be healthy. And you're saying this to yourself and to others on a regular basis right now. Some of you, you feel like, man, you'd love to be in a romantic relationship with somebody, but you're walking around and you're saying to yourself, I'm never going to find the right guy. I'm never going to find the right girl. I'm never going to find love. I'm always going to be what? Alone. And you just keep saying that to yourself. Some of you right now, you, you have a son or a daughter who's struggling, really going through stuff, and you're looking around and you're like, they're never going to what? Change, never going to change. 
Some of you look in the mirror, you look at yourself and you say, I'm never going to change. I'm never going to be more than my old man. I'm never going to be more than this person. I'm never going to be, I'm never going to rise above my circumstances, right? Now, listen, if you believe something is true, you will likely live in such a way that you will prove you are right. If you believe something is true, you will likely live in such a way that you will prove you were right. The next time you start thinking things like, hey, you know what? My marriage is never going to change. It's never going to be different. You got to stop yourself and realize you don't speak for God. Right? You're not God. I serve a God, the Bible says, who could do anything, anywhere, in any way, in any form, in any shape. He's the God of the impossible. I serve a God, according to the Bible, that can work miracles in people's lives. I serve a God who loves his people, watches the backs of his people, and is not yet finished with his people. I serve a God who's working and moving in the world. And sometimes you just got to stop yourself. And say, well, what am I, why am I saying that? Why am I speaking those words over my life? Listen, why am I setting my rudder towards a marriage that's never going to be healthy? Why am I setting my mutter, my rudder, <laughs> my mutter, <laughs> my rudder and my mutter, <laughs> right, towards a direction that is never going to ultimately be healthy? Some of you, you walk around right now. This is what you say to yourself. I'm always going to be broke. I'm never going to have enough. It's never going to be enough. Stop speaking those words over your life because you don't know that, right? You serve a God who's got the cattle on a thousand hills and all you need is for him to sell a few of them. You know what I'm saying? Give you the proceeds, right? So instead of speaking that over your life, you say, God, listen. Yeah, I wish I had more, but you are my portion. And I'm going to follow you in faith with the little you've provided for me. I'm going to be faithful with that little until you bring the more. And I'm going to believe it is possible for you to bring the more. I'm going to believe it is possible for my marriage to be healthy. I'm going to believe it is possible for my son and my daughter to one day come to know you and change and live differently. I'm going to believe it's possible for me to rise up and live differently. I'm going to believe it's possible for our family to live different. My wife and I were talking recently. Listen, one generation back in her family is... Is, is generational suicide. One generation back in her family is rampant alcoholism. One generation back. But her parents stood up and said, no more. We're going to follow Christ in our lives. We're going to live differently. And her, the whole course of her family in one generation has changed so radically. You're one generation away from your family dynamic being on a completely different trajectory. And so, friends, our words, <laughs> we shape them, and then they shape us, right? They are a rudder for us. And it's not just the words that we speak over our situation. It's also the words that we say to ourselves. You know, back when I was growing up as a kid, we used to have these things called cassettes, okay? Those of you that are a little more seasoned, you'll remember this in your life. For the rest of you, it's time for a little history lesson. But we had these things called cassettes, these little rectangular squares, and there were two circles in it, and you had to actually put a cassette into a player and close it and hit play to listen to music, right? You know what I'm talking about? Now, we used to make these things called the mixtape. Now, the mixtape, right, you had two cassette players. Hang with me. I know it's all playlists today, and some of you never heard any of this stuff, but hang with me, right? You know, uh, the, the mixtape, you, you, you'd get the cassette in, and you'd hit play. You'd get it right on your song right before it started. Then you'd have the other cassette. You'd have to hit play and record at just the right time. you got to work that thing, right, because, you know, you're not an amateur. This is a real mixtape right here. 
And so you'd get that song done, and then you'd stop it. You'd take this cassette out. You'd get another cassette. You'd have to fast forward, rewind, fast forward, rewind. Get it just where you wanted it, right before the song started. And then you play that one, and then you record this one, and you put another song on there, and you're like, oh, that's good, right? And then you're like, stop that, open that, get another one. And then and, and what was the point of a mixtape? Well, the point of the mixtape was this. If you really liked a girl, you come rolling up at school, and you're like, hey, What's going on? I made you a mixtape. It's on now, right there, man. Woo! We got our own mixtapes, don't we? We got those tapes we play in our minds again and again and again. And often they are anything but what God says about us in our lives. Sometimes we look in the mirror and we think, you know what? You've always been a bum. You're always going to be a bum. You're never going to be different in your life. Sometimes we hear these voices when we fail. You'll always fail. This is who you are. You will never change. I wrestled with drug addiction for four years in my life. And I can tell you when I began to come out of that, when I surrendered my life to Jesus, when I began to change and experience God's grace in my life for so many months and even years after that, I just felt like a nobody. You know who you are, Judd? You're an addict. You'll always be an addict. You'll never not be an addict. Here's what the Bible says. You ready for this? One of my favorite verses. Romans chapter 9, verse 25. Some of you, you're about to get lit up. Some of you are about to be so glad you came to church today. You ready for this? Check it out. He says, I call nobodies. Look at this. And I make them what? Somebodies. That's the business God is in right there. That's what God does right there. I call nobodies and I make them somebodies. I call the unloved. How many people walk around in our culture and feel unloved? How many students walk the, walk the halls of our schools and feel unloved? How many people walk through their apartments and walk into their homes and feel unloved? How many of us sit at work? feel anything but love. God says, I call the unloved and I make them beloved. He says, in the place where they yelled out, you're nobody, right? You remember that place? Some of you, you need to go back to that place just for a moment in your life. You remember that place where they called out to you, you're nobody, where they said you're nothing and you'll never be anything. Look at what it says. Now they're calling you God's living children. That's the business God is in. And that means this. You don't have to have any more Facebook followers. You don't have to have any more Twitter followers to be somebody. This is good news. You, you don't have to have it any more together to be somebody. You don't have to have any more fame, any more praise, any more respect from others to be somebody. You don't need a bigger house to be somebody. You don't need a, a nicer car to be somebody. You don't have to be married to be somebody. You don't have to be single to be somebody. You don't have to have the perfect kids to be somebody. You don't have to have a six pack, even though it'd be nice to be somebody because the Bible says you are already somebody through your faith in Jesus Christ. God has declared that over your life. And here's why this is significant. If you keep looking to all these other things to give you your ultimate value, then you're just setting yourself up to be disappointed anyway. But when you realize it comes from God, it starts to change you for the inside out. Here's why it's so important. Listen, listen. If you believe that you are a nobody, you're going to parent like somebody who believes they're a nobody. And you're going to start passing that on to your kids, right? In your own way. 
If you, if you believe that you are a nobody, you're going to start loving your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend in a way that shows you believe that you are a nobody. If you believe that you are a nobody, you're going to start showing up at work and allowing people to treat you in such a way that you believe that you are a nobody. And the studies show, and this is hard, but, but the studies show that for the most part, people tend to treat us exactly like we teach them to treat us. But when you begin to believe that you're somebody in Jesus Christ, now that changes how you parent because you parent as a somebody and you want your kids to know they're somebody in Christ. You start to love people in your life like a somebody and you want them to know that they're somebody in Christ. You start to go to work like a somebody and you don't allow people to treat you in such a way that would declare that you're a nobody because just by how you carry yourself, it's obvious the overflow of your heart and your life says, I am somebody in Christ. And it's not a proud swagger. You know, a lot of people today, they, get the, they got the swag. I'm in Vegas, you know, like swagger capital <laughs> but here's what we're called to we're called to what I would call humble swagger and you come in and it's not kiss my ring I'm somebody it's this I was nobody but God made me somebody glory to God glory to God for who he is in my life here's what the Bible says I went through the New Testament and pulled out the phrases that say you are you are. Listen to what it says. This is so rich and so good for us in our lives. Just to be reminded of who the Bible says we are. It says literally, I'm just going to read them to you. You are Jesus' followers. You are Jesus' friends. You are children of God. You are children of light. You are members of God's family. You are holy and blameless, standing before God without a single fault. You are uh, God's people. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the branches that bear fruit. You are God's field. You are God's building. You are living stones in God's temple. You are holy priests. You are a holy nation. You are a chosen people. You are God's workers. You are Christ's ambassadors ambassadors. You are true ministers of God, united with Christ. You're a part of his body. You are living by the spirit. You are God's masterpiece. You are the faithful ones meant for better things. You are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. You are looking forward to a home that is yet to come. You are heirs of God's glory. You are set free from the slavery to sin. You are truly free. That's what the Bible says. You are in Christ. And friends, that ought to be stirring a little something inside of all of us because our words are powerful. Those words are a rudder. So this week, man, we want to speak words of life to one another. And remember, parents, grandparents, friends, like in somebody's life, your words weigh 10,000 pounds. And to those people, you want to speak words of life and encouragement and hope. And then over our own lives, remember, we are somebody in Christ. We are loved in him. God's got our back, and he's got our future. If you believe it, then you will likely live in such a way to prove out that it's true. So make sure your thoughts and your speech are aligned with what God says about who you are. Realize the power of your words. Then James is going to challenge us along those same lines to cool your tongue. Cool your tongue. Um, I'm going to read some words to you. We'll see if you recognize these from a musical artist of our day. It goes like this. Uh, I stay out too late. Got nothing in my brain. That's what people say. Mm, 
mm, that's what people say, mm, mm. I go on too many dates, but I can't make them stay. At least that's what people say. Mm, mm. That's what people say. Because mm, mm. the players are going to play, 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 play. And the haters going to hate, 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 baby. I'm just going to shake, 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 shake it off, shake it off. There's more. Heartbreaker's going to break, 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 and the faker's going to fake, 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 but baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake it off. Listen, the world is full of heartbreakers. The world is full of fakers. The world is full of haters. The world is full of all this stuff. Well, how do we deal with it in our life? Because we all face it because we all live in this same world. The Bible says, listen, you got to cool your tongue and you got to shake it off because the word you speak may or may not impact them. But here's what I can promise you. They will impact you, right? They will impact you. So check this out. James chapter three, Beginning in verse 5, he says, But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Well, here's James. I mean, he's coming right at us, isn't he? He's hitting us on the forehead with a two-by-four. He's like, look, this little thing called the tongue, it can set your whole life on fire. It can burn relationships down. It can burn everything you've built up in your life. you got to be wise about how you manage it. That tongue is a uh, flammable device. And so let's look at three different ways that we can manage and cool our tongue. The first is what I would just call the area of angry outbursts, angry outbursts. It's hard sometimes, right? When you lose your cool, but when you lose your cool, that is usually the very time when you say things that you regret the most, right? And you, you fire away at people and you just kind of go off. Now, psychologists used to tell us that this was healthy, that when you got angry, you should just let it go. Just let it go, and then you'll feel better, and you'll kind of work it out and all that. But now, you know, psychologists done what they often do. They've done a 180. They're like, wait, wait, wait. No, did we take that back? Because here's what they learned. If you just let it go and let it go, you start getting into a habit of just letting it go. And pretty soon, letting it go gets easier and easier and easier. And when you let it go, when you're the most angry is when you're the most convinced that you're right. And we all know that when we're the most angry, we're probably not in the best shape to know whether or not we're really right. And so we fire off with such great certainty, but people can get hurt and damaged. And so friends, this is an area where I think we got to, it's hard, but start exercising discipline. Because what I can tell you in my own life is I've wrestled with anger. It gets easier as you get disciplined and intentional about it. And everybody's different. Know your triggers and know how to deal with it. So my wife, Lori, and I, uh, we realized early on, like, we had some different methods of communication. And words between men and women don't often mean the same thing. Um, the English language doesn't always mean the same thing, but that's, that's separate, right? So 
We'd be in an argument, things start heating up, and here's, here's what I'll say to my wife. And she knows, like, when I say this, I really mean this. I say, honey, I, I'm going to say something now that I regret. <laughs> so I'm going to need to leave, take a few minutes, and I'll be back. Now, what she's learned over the years is that when a man says, I need a few minutes, what a man means is, I need a few minutes. Right? There's no secret here. Women trying to hear something else. Like, what he means is, I need a few minutes of us on the couch talking together. No, he, he just means, I need a few minutes alone now, or I am going to say something I regret. It's called man space. Give it to him. <laughs> Let him have it. Now, women, when they say, I just need a few minutes, well, that's not what they mean at all, guys. They got some other thing going on up there. And I learned this 20 years ago because my wife and I were in an argument one day, and she looked at me, and she said, just leave. And I said, okay. Because <laughs> I thought when a woman said, just leave, that she meant just leave. But when a woman says, just leave, what she means is, come over here and sit down and talk to me about this. We got to work through this. I just didn't have my translator on, you know. I just, I just got in the car. I'm like, I went and got coffee. I thought we were good. Look, 19 years of marriage. I have never walked out in an argument with my wife unless she gave me the true green light to do it because I needed space again. I learned my lesson. I got back. She's like, where did you go? You just walked out. I'm like, you told me to leave. i just doing what you told me. It's what I've been doing for 19 years. Anyway. All I'm saying is we deal with this area a little bit differently, and we need to be having good conversations about how to deal with it in healthy ways. Here, here's another area, lying. How many of you hate being lied to? Don't you hate it when somebody lies to you, man? Look, you can give it to me strong. You can, it can be difficult. It can be hard, but just tell me the truth, right? I can deal with the truth, but just, just don't lie to me, you know? And as much as we hate it when other people lie to us, it's interesting how soft we can get towards lying when it's us telling the lie towards somebody else. But we got to be very careful here. With anybody, really, if you're playing with the truth, I think you're playing with fire. But even more so with your husband, your wife, your kids, your family, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mom, your dad, the people you love and care about in your life. When you start lying to them, you are playing with fire. That lie can set things on fire. Like the Bible says, a match can set a whole forest on fire, right? We say talk is cheap, but so are matches. And they can do a whole lot of damage, right? And so listen, what does Smokey the Bear say? <laughs> Only you can prevent forest fires. <laughs> so this week, it may feel easier to, shed the, to, to shade the truth a little bit, right? It may feel like, you know, nobody will know, nobody will care. What difference will it make? But you remember how much you hate being lied to. And rather than start a forest fire, you look at that person in the eye and you say, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to lay it out there because this relationship is too important for me to shade the truth. Third area is gossip and slander. This is an area where we just got to be really careful with our tongue. One study said that 90% of our conversation is about other people and that um, it could be classified as gossip and that men gossip just as much as women. We just call it networking, <laughs> right? Now, I think that's a pretty loose definition of gossip. I like one pastor said that gossip is when you're talking about somebody in a negative light and you're neither part of, they're neither part of the problem or part of the solution. 
that's helpful. But it's hard to know, am I gossiping? Am I not gossiping? Like, it's hard to kind of figure that out if you really start thinking about what your speech is. It's hard to know if you're gossiping, but we all know when we've been gossiped about, right? We know that. So here's what I've been doing in my life. I've been, I'm a work in progress. I've been li- trying to live this out. It's challenging, but I've just been trying to lay the uh, Jesus golden rule over my speech. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. And if I'm about to say something and I don't know if it's gossip or not, I just try to imagine, well, what if roles were reversed and somebody else was talking about me in this context? Would it be okay with me if they said that? And a lot of times it's like, yeah, I think it'd be fine. So if I'm good with that, somebody else doing that, to me, then I feel comfortable doing that, saying whatever about that situation or whatever to somebody else. But if I'm not comfortable with that, then I know real quick, like, yeah, I better, I better not do that. And so gossip is a huge area of our lives. James is saying, look, cool your tongue so that you don't set your life on fire. And then he's going to challenge us overall in the book to simply listen quickly and to speak carefully, to listen quickly and to speak carefully. James chapter 1, verse 19 says this. Go back a few chapters. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be, here it is, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I mean, that is the recipe, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. One of the things that's helped me do that in my own life is to simply lay this question over different situations at work. I do this with my wife. I've done this with my kids. Uh, I'll just say, help me understand, fill in the blank, right? Because I want to first understand before I try to be understood. Because that's what James is telling me. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. All right? So help me understand. And sometimes I've gotten a lot broader perspective when I just ask that question. Help me understand. And that's a pretty soft question, right? Like if I back that question up to you, hey, just help me understand. Well, then at least you see whether you were justified in being as upset as you were. And maybe you were. And then you can deal with that situation, but it sure has helped me in different relational contexts. The other question that I've been laying over myself as a leader a lot is simply this. From a work standpoint, guys and and women, what would a great leader do? I heard this from Andy Stanley. I thought it was so good. Like, when I'm facing a situation and maybe I want other people to feel what I feel. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you don't just want to communicate the facts to them. You want them to feel what you feel, right? You want to basically go in and back that truck up. Like share some of this stink right here. Cause it's in my world. And I want to, I want you to feel some of what I feel, but here's what I've been asking myself. What would a great leader do right now? Right. And that question just has a way of lifting your sights and you go, well, A great leader probably wouldn't just go off randomly on the people around him, right? A great leader wouldn't just lose his cool. A great leader would get good counsel. A great leader would make sure he's got full understanding of the situation. A great leader would have a tough conversation, but would do it in a way that was a little more emotionally neutral from the initial kind of uh, freak out about the situation. That's what a great leader would do. And then this is the challenge I've been giving myself. Go and do likewise. Be a great leader and not just a leader. And so, friends, in your own lives, what I've seen it come back to again and again is simply listen, listen quickly and speak carefully and let God work as you do. You shape your words, and then your words shape you. Remember the story of Maya Angelou. She passed away this last year in May, but 
renowned poet and scholar. She was only, I think, the second woman to ever write and recite original poetry at the inauguration of a United States president. I mean, her words inspired millions of people. But here's what some of you may or may not know about Maya Angelou is that in the several years in her life, when she was around eight years old, she didn't speak at all. Like she completely shut down. Only her brother could coax a few words out of her. Basically, she was raped by her mom's boyfriend at eight years old. After that experience, she told on him and he was arrested. And when he was released from jail, the men in the community came and found that man and beat him to death. And Angelou felt like it was her fault that he had died and he had gone through all of that. And obviously she's carrying all the guilt and the shame that uh, victims of sexual abuse often carry. And she just completely shut down. She stopped talking. She stopped communicating everything for years. She said one day she's walking along and her mom leaned over to her. And her mom said these words. She said, baby, I think you're the greatest woman that I have ever met in my life. She said, yes, Mary McLeod Bethune, Eleanor Roosevelt, my mother, and you, and you are the greatest. Just a little kid under 10 years old. And she said she heard those words and it started to unlock something in her heart. She got on the streetcar and she remembered looking at this wood paneling. And she said tears started to come down her face and she said to herself, maybe I am, listen, maybe I am somebody. Maybe I am somebody. And that was the moment God began to unlock her heart. She would go on, right? to write words that would impact millions of people, beautiful, powerful words. But so much of what set her free was the words of her mother. Sometimes with some people, our words weigh 10,000 pounds. And so we have an opportunity today to remember the power of those words, to share words of life with our kids and with our grandkids. And maybe like me, you've made a lot of mistakes in this area. But you say, you know what, I can't, I can't change yesterday. I can only set the rudder today for the future, for my kids and my grandkids and my family. Speak words of life to myself and to others. Play a different mixtape because you shape your words and then your words shape you.